this morning. Uh, I want to thank Chad for his message last week, last Sunday of 2019. I think he did a great job helping us understand the beauty of both God's mercy and God's wrath. And in coming weeks, as we walk through Romans 10 and 11, we'll continue to see these themes of God's mercy and God's wrath. But today, the first Sunday of 2020, I've decided to postpone our return to Romans uh, one more week and instead do a message for the new year, uh, the new decade, if you will. And since it's 2020, I thought uh, of some really good titles, right? Having a 2020 vision, seeing 2020 in the new year, is your faith truly 2020? Okay, so they weren't so great of titles. I also realized that, that I had to preach a sermon based on the title I, I came up with. So as I further thought and, and prayed about the message, and as I did some reading, I ran across a short article by a man named Don Whitney. Some of you may recognize his name. He wrote several books that we've studied in, in some men's groups, uh, including 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health, and uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I've actually used his Spiritual Disciplines book in uh, premarital counseling. It helps to provide, uh, I believe, a much-needed biblical foundation for any marriage. Anyway, Whitney's article that inspired the message for today is titled, like the sermon, 10 Questions for a New Year. As I read through these questions... And as I thought about answers for myself, some of which I'll share with you this morning, I felt that these questions would help us as a church and as individuals to think through some of some very practical aspects of our lives. A lot of times, especially as we've been going through Romans, it's, it's pretty deep and pretty theological, and it's certainly practical, but today we're going we're gonna to focus in on some very practical aspects of our lives. These questions will help us to see clearly in 2020. Right? See clearly. You guys get it? Huh? Are you guys awake even? Come on. As those who've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, which I pray we have, as those of us who've sang, we live for you. Do we live for Him? If we live for Him, then how we answer these questions is going to be very different from how those who don't would. We need to take time and pause and pray and think about the vision and direction of our lives. Because in our 21st century world, it's so easy uh, to stumble along from one busy week to another without ever stopping to consider where we're going. And it's so easy to never ask the crucial questions about where we should be going. Never asking if we're headed in the direction that the one we live for wants us to go. That's what I want to encourage us in today. But before we get to the, ten, the actual ten questions, I'd like to begin by providing a biblical basis for, for asking these questions. I want us to see that the Bible exhorts us to consider our ways, to consider your ways as individuals. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, or parts of it, or if you've been with us as we've looked at Romans chapter 9 and 10 specifically, 
you know that Israel, more often than not, struggled in their relationship with God. They had trouble with God. They had trouble obeying God. And at one such time of struggle, after Israel had returned from captivity to Babylon, after they had suffered because they failed to uh, follow after God, and God allowed the, the nations to take them into captivity... Now they've returned, and the Lord has commanded them to rebuild the temple. They were to prioritize, above all else, the establishment of this spiritual foundation for the people. This reference point for God's people, this place where the sacrifices would occur, where congregational worship would occur. But instead, Israel worked on their own homes. Their priorities were askew. And in Haggai, the prophet Haggai, prophet during this time, in chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, the prophet relays this message from the Lord. He says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the temple of the Lord, lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Israel's problem was not laziness. This passage described their hard work. They had built their houses. They had sown much, but their hard work didn't produce the desired results. God did not bless their crops. Why? Because of their preference for personal safety and comfort over rebuilding the temple. While they were building and living in paneled, or or in some ways uh, this this paneled refers to just extras, luxurious houses. The 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 house of the Lord was in ruins. And so their efforts of eating and drinking and clothing themselves and earning wages were not paying off. Life was not working out for them. Their efforts to care for themselves, for their families, just led to frustration. And in this passage, stated twice, is the direction God gives them. He says, consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're not doing. Think about how you're responding to the Lord and His commands. Think about how you're not living in obedience to Him and then realize that's the cause of your trouble, I would say. God urged them to reflect on the things happening to them and to evaluate their lives in light of what God had told them. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Really, I I just want to introduce uh, these ten questions as sort of a method for us to consider our ways. Yes, God can speak to us this morning. I believe He will. But if, if, but, but if you, in the upcoming weeks of this new year, would take these questions and seriously consider them, pray through them, talk to your spouse, a good friend about them, and allow God to speak to you through them, that's when you'll receive the greatest blessing. So let's look at these ten questions. Looking up to God to help us get our bearings, and to consider our ways, prayerfully asking Him to put us on the path that He designed for us, a path that can result in God-given success, in blessing in 2020 and beyond. 
in God's blessing. Maybe not what we have in our idea of blessing, but true blessing from God. So uh, question one, I believe most important foundational question after I take a drink of water. What's one thing you can do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? What's one thing you can do this year to increase your, yes I said, enjoyment of God? Now this might seem like a strange question to some. You might not realize that you can or should think about enjoying God. We tend to think uh, that we're just supposed to obey God whether we enjoy it or not. But the Bible paints a different picture. Yes, we're to obey God, but obedience to God, obedience to the one who loves us, the one that gave himself for us, the one who wants what's best for us, the one who offers to be in relationship with us, should bring us great joy. We see this especially in the Psalms. Psalm 84, 1 and 2, we read, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord! Of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. There's real emotion here, real joy that the psalmist is experiencing. He knows the joy of dwelling with the Lord, of being in his presence. And, and in Psalm 34 8, David writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The imagery here is quite powerful. Taste and see. The Lord is excellent food. See the Lord with a 2020 vision, if you will. He's beautiful. Take refuge in Him. Come to Him with all your needs, with all your pain, with all your sorrow, with all your trouble, and you will be blessed. That word blessed means uh, literally to be happy to experience joy, uh, to experience enjoyment. Then in Psalm 37, 4, the Lord through David commands our enjoyment of him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We are commanded to delight in the Lord, to seek our joy in him, to enjoy the Lord. Those, uh, this is one of our core values at Bridges Church. We have our core values here. It's the, the final one. That doesn't make it the last one. It's the one that starts with an S, so it spells out riches. Seeking our joy in the Lord. And the results, He will give you the desires of your heart. Because your heart will belong to Him. Your joy, enjoyment will be found in Him. And by the way, when that happens... When you're finding your joy in your relationship with God, that's when you're truly glorifying Him. When your greatest joy is found in Him, when He is your greatest treasure, treasure, He is most glorified in you. That's our first core value, bringing glory to God. And we do that truly by enjoying Him. So the Psalms proclaim the truth that our greatest joy, our greatest enjoyment is found in the things of this, is not found in the things of this world, but it's found in our relationship with God. And if you've sought joy in the things of this world, you at least know that's not where it's found. It's like, it's like water running through your fingers. You can't grab hold of it. And if this uh, thought of seeking your joy in the Lord 
is new to you, if you'd like to explore this idea of enjoying God more, then let me recommend a book. I'm going to do this a couple times. Uh, This book is called Desiring God by John Piper. You may have heard of him. It's available on Amazon for $10.79. It's the deal of the century, at least the decade. And I actually have two copies with me today, two extras to give away. If this is something you'd like, you don't want it on Kindle, you want the book, and, and you want a free copy today, come and see me after the service. So yes, we can and should, we are commanded to enjoy God. Now we can answer the question, what's the one thing you can do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? And just so you know, all ten of these aren't going to be that, this long. We, we will get out of here, we will get lunch today. I just felt like this was foundational. As the Psalms, Psalms declare, our enjoyment of God comes when? From being in His presence, from spending time in His dwelling place, in His courts, from seeking refuge in Him. Enjoyment of God comes from spending time with God. And this shouldn't come as a shock to anyone. If I were to ask you, what's the one thing you could do this year to increase your enjoyment of your spouse, uh, your children, a special friend? Your answer would certainly include increasing the time you spend with them, being with them. And the same thing is true with God. He has promised to bless us to increase our joy through spending time with Him in His Word and in prayer. In Psalm 1, 1 and 2, we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. There it is, this delight we have in the Lord, in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates all the time, day and night. There's happiness, there's joy, blessing, enjoyment to be found in the law of the Lord, in the Word of God. Not just reading it, but meditating on it, praying through it, asking God to work it in your life, uh, to work in your life through His Word, to bring about transformation and enjoyment of Him. So I could restate the question, this first question this way. For your enjoyment, what is the one thing you can do this year to increase your time with the Lord? And as I thought about this for myself, I reflected back to uh, over a year ago to the sabbatical I had, a three-month blessing that the church gave me, and how much I enjoyed spending extended time in prayer and in reading God's Word and in combining those, praying through the Word of God. So I've decided to increase my enjoyment of God this year by planning at least one day a month. Are you going to write this down, dear? I'm going to share a couple things that I've decided. My wife will hold me accountable. So I've decided to increase my enjoyment this year, planning at least one day a month where I'll spend extended time, either all day, a half day, taking my Bible, finding a quiet place, and just being with Jesus. Other suggestions I'd offer would include reading through the Bible this year. There are a lot of different reading plans, and there are even apps to give you your daily readings. And with the psalmist, I'd suggest that along with reading, you take time to meditate. That it doesn't just become a checklist, but it becomes an opportunity for a relationship with God. Think about, pray through the passages you read. 
It's better to read less, if necessary, so you can meditate and remember and apply what you read. Maybe instead of reading through the Bible in a year, which turns out to be, I don't know, three, four chapters, uh, which is a lot, you might start a, a plan to read through in three years or five years even. This will allow you more time of meditation and prayer and, dare I say, enjoyment of God. So first, over the next year, over the next week or so, consider and pray about how you'll increase your enjoyment of God. That's the first question. Now, the ten questions uh, of the ten, three of them focus specifically on prayer. This is because prayer is probably the greatest area where we need to consider our ways. So the second question, the first on prayer, is what's an impossible prayer you can pray? What's an impossible prayer you can pray? When you read through the Psalms, again, you'll see the book of prayer, the Bible's book of prayer. You'll see how David and others prayed with boldness. Yes, they were humble before God, but they also understood God is God. And they prayed with boldness, save me, deliver me. Destroy my enemies. And as we saw at Christmas on Christmas Sunday, when the angel announced the birth of Christ to the Virgin Mary, he said, for nothing will be impossible with God. And therefore we can pray. We can pray for what to us would be impossible. Also, there, there are more than a dozen, sort of my favorite two words in the Bible, uh, but God statements in Scripture. These statements demonstrate how God works to do the impossible, how God intervenes in impossible situations, such as Romans 5.8, which reads, but God. It, goes, it went through all of the problems uh, in, in the verses previous, and then he says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, we sang this today, Christ died for us. From our human standpoint, if we stepped back, our salvation, the salvation of anyone, is utterly impossible. Because we're dealing with the holy God. He cannot stomach, he cannot stand. His sin causes his wrath to come upon us. And we are all sinners. Impossible. But God provided a way. Through Christ, God did And God does the impossible. And God wants us to pray. And if we're praying to a God who does the impossible, then our prayers can boldly go into difficult circumstances, difficult relationships. We can ask God for the miraculous. We can ask God to do the impossible. But before we do, before we go uh, willy-nilly, if you will, do people say that anymore? I did, so people do, because I'm a people. Before we go off and just think we can pray whatever we want, which in a sense we can, don't don't get me wrong, but before we do, we need to be clear that God is God and we are not. Is everybody clear on that? That's pretty foundational when you understand that you're not God. We do not and cannot, cannot understand everything God is doing. I think Chad spoke about that as well last week. So we may ask him to work the impossible in a situation or a relationship, and he may not move fast enough for us. Or he may not move in the direction that we desire. Because along with praying for the impossible, 
We're praying to the God of all knowledge and wisdom and righteousness and truth and love, etc. And therefore, we should seek to pray always according to His will. The Apostle John wrote, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. And so I would suggest, as we consider the impossible prayers to pray, we must also consider the will of God. Yes, we can pray for anything with boldness, and God is gracious, and when we pray for stupid stuff, or stuff that's not of His will, He corrects us, He tells us, He lets us know. We don't have to, oh, I can't pray this, it's not God's will, I don't know if it's God's will. We can pray. We can come to Him in boldness. We can pray for health and healing. We can pray for financial security. I've been praying, I prayed this morning, I hope she doesn't mind, my wife is experiencing this trigeminal neuralgia again it's coming back she had surgery once it's coming back she'll just i'll be talking to her and then there'll be just be this look on her face this pain has come and so i'm praying that that would go away but and that that uh so so yes we can pray for those things and because god loves us he will grant these prayers if they are best for us if they're according to his will but the Bible is filled with promises that we can be sure are the will of God. Promises and commands and truths. Promises that God will do the impossible. And these are the impossible prayers I'd suggest we focus on. For me, I've decided to pray for my own personal uh, uh, practical transformation in just one specific area. Not that, this is, not that I won't pray for other things, but this is the one area, as I thought about this question, this is what I need. There's a person in my life, a person who's been in my life for many years, and to be honest, uh, I don't love this person. I don't even like this person. And so the impossible prayer that I'm praying this year, and they're not in this room, just so you know, <laughs> is that God would change my heart. He would give me a great, uh, a new and a great love and compassion for this person. And I can pray this with boldness and confidence because I know it's the will of God. Because Jesus said the second greatest commandment, second only to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So I know it's God's will that I love this person who is, like all people, my neighbor. And I know it's impossible for me to do it on my own because I've tried for years. So that's my impossible prayer. And I would suggest you ask God to do the impossible in your life. You can certainly pray for other things. We do. I do, but I'd encourage you to ask God to bring about an impossible transformation in your own heart. What's something about yourself that you know is not in line with the will of God that you would like changed? I would encourage you this year to pray that God would change that. Maybe you're totally impatient. Maybe like me, there's a person you need to love. 
Maybe you struggle with uh, all kinds of things. Ask God on a daily basis to transform you, to do the impossible. Maybe you've tried for years, but God can do it. So that's the second question to consider. What's an impossible prayer you can pray? Third question, what's the most important thing you can do to improve your family life? Is there a relationship that needs reconciliation? Are there family members you need to spend more time with? Is there a spiritual leadership you need to provide or that you need to submit to? For me, the answer would be to consistent... Okay, you got to write this one down too. Consistently spend time... So right now my family, my immediate family is my wife. We live together. That's good for you guys to know. And we're, we live alone together. We have grown children. They're out of the house. So my uh, improved family life would be to consistently spend time in prayer and Bible reading with my wife. We try to pray together every night before we go to bed, but recently this time has become less consistent. We stay up late doing other things. We get tired and we, uh, we I say, really I uh, kind of push it off. And that's also true of our devotional or scripture reading. There have been times of consistency, but I've let that slide as well. So in 2020, I'd like to commit to improve my family life by consistently praying and reading God's word with my wife. And I'd suggest that this is a good place for all of us to start. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Now this verse certainly applies uh, to the church when we gather as a church. But I also believe it applies anytime we meet together as Christians in, in Sunday school classes, in our small groups, when we meet as friends, and when we meet in our families. If your family doesn't practice any kind of a devotional time, any kind of worshiping the Lord together, then beginning to do that this year is probably the best way to improve your family life. And it doesn't have to be a major production. Not much preparation required. Begin with uh, 10 minutes a day. Reading the Bible together, praying together, and if uh, you're so inclined and can do it, we, st- we try this. Our family tries it and we fail until Ashley helps us, but we sing together sometimes. Some, some families are great at that. It, it's, it's difficult. Maybe you can just read, song, read songs together. I don't know if you're like my family. And if this is something uh, you'd like to do in 2020, then I'd suggest getting a, a book to help you. It's Don Whitney, same guy that we're going through his article. He has a book titled Family Worship. It's available on Amazon for $8.99. And I have a couple to give away, but they didn't arrive. So if you, if you want one of those, uh, just tell me and they'll be here next week. Three of them. I only... I can't provide for everyone. (laughs) So the third question to consider, what's the most important thing you can do to improve your family life? Fourth, in which spiritual discipline do you most want to make progress this year? 
Some of you might be thinking, what's a spiritual discipline? Well, spiritual disciplines are activities that help us to grow spiritually, to mature. I mean, it takes discipline to, to, I mean, how many of us have started like a diet at the beginning of this year? Just me? I'm on my own. Woohoo! You know? So it takes discipline to, to transform this body, right? Uh, and it takes discipline to transform our, ourselves spiritually through, uh, through Christ. And so there are, there are lists, different lists of spiritual discipline in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Don Whitney includes the following disciplines. Bible intake, which involves reading and studying and meditation and memorization of Scripture. Uh, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship or giving, fasting. Those are pretty standard. And then he adds silence, solitude, journaling, and learning. Just as those are like uh, some added ones, so to speak, that can help us grow spiritually. For me, I plan to focus on uh, three of these because they sort of go together. Meditation, prayer, and journaling. They also go together with my uh, commitment to enjoying God, to spending that extra time with God. Part of meditation on Scripture is prayer. As, as I meditate and pray, I want to write down the things that God reveals. So these journaling and prayer and meditation go together. Now there's no wrong answer here to this. Uh, you can improve on any of these spiritual disciplines And if the concept of spiritual discipline is new to you, or maybe you need a refresher, I'd suggest getting the book I just mentioned, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Don Whitney, available at Amazon for $12.99. And I did bring three copies of that, if anybody would like that. All you have to do is say, I I agree to, to read this. And if I decide I want to stop, I'll give it back to you so you can give it to somebody else. Other, if, if, that, if that, I mean, because some people, I've given books away and then somebody comes and says, uh, I'm not going to read this, and they give it back, and that's good. So that's the fourth question to consider. In which spiritual discipline do you want to make progress this year? Fifth question, this is where we start getting, uh, okay, this is where it can get uh, a little meddling here, you know, in your life. What's the biggest, the single biggest time waster in your life? And how can you redeem the time? You know, God cares about how you use your time. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk. This is another way of saying, consider your ways. Look carefully at how you're living and what you're doing. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. We live in a fallen world. A world that's filled with not only blatant temptations and sin, but with mind-numbing distractions. Things that take away from our time with an enjoyment of God. Therefore, God wants us to examine our lives and consider our ways. So that we can use our time wisely. So ask yourself, how am I wasting time? The internet? Social media? Shopping, TV, and all of the new ways to watch it. I mean, glorious Disney Channel and Apple Plus and all. 
just, man, the choices are ad infinitum. Video games, sports, watching or, or playing. Playing is probably okay. It's the watching that gets you. Whatever hobby you've chosen, reading books that aren't saturated with Scripture, just saturated with the world. Even, you know, uh, I have a friend. His name's Tom Allen. He's not here, so I'll talk about him today. And, and it, was like I was tr- it was like I was trying to uh, discipline myself to read more news. I t- kind of don't like the news. And Tom, he was saying he's just distra- he just loves to read the news. And so maybe that's your thing, and you need to... He felt he was wasting time reading the news. Now, I'm not saying that you have to rid yourself completely of all of these things. That's something that that you should determine in relationship with God. But you should determine it in relationship with God, if you know what I mean. You should go to God with these activities that you spend time with and say, God, is this how you want me to be spending my time? So I am saying that all of these things and many others can take up not only our valuable time, but they can keep our hearts from the things of God. They can keep us from the time with God, uh, time serving God, time with people, with family, with friends, with fellow believers. And so we need to consider our ways. I personally would probably be a hermit if it wasn't for my wife. You know, I would be wasting a lot of time just reading and whatever, but my wife brings me out into relationship. So thank God for her. Uh, Consider your ways. We need to ask, where am I wasting time? We need to identify the problem and then take the problem to the Lord. This may require even repentance. Maybe there's something uh, that you're wasting time with and you're literally addicted to it. You cannot break free on your own. Maybe you need help from a brother or sister in Christ to hold you accountable. Maybe this uh, time waster has, has become an idol. It'll definitely require prayer. Asking God to not only rid your life of this time waster, and this is key, but to replace it with a time redeemer. Just trying to stop by itself is probably not the answer. Actively replacing it with something better helps us in making the best use of our time. My desire for 2020 is to spend much less time on TV and all of its many offerings and more time with God. So, fifth question to consider, what's the single biggest time waster in your life and how can you redeem the time? Sixth question, my personal favorite, what's the most helpful way you could strengthen your church? Amen? Can I get some amens? All right. While we often stress the fact, we're pretty, uh, as Americans, we're pretty, I can say the word, individualistic. And so we tend to emphasize scriptures about individualism. We stress the fact that individual believers are, uh, make up the body of Christ. And that's true. In 1 Corinthians 6.15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? We as individuals are members of Christ. And the scripture says that once. Right there, I read it. However, the New Testament actually says seven times that the church is the body of Christ. One example of this is in Ephesians 1.22-23. 
And he put all things under his feet. God put all things under the feet of Christ and gave him Christ as head over all things to the church, which is Christ's his body. The church is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We must not let our frequent emphasis on our personal relationship with Christ minimize. It's important to to understand, acknowledge our personal relationship with Christ, but sometimes we do that to the exclusion of the importance of our service to Jesus through His body, the church. How can your church, I, I look around, most of you attend this church. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here, no. So that's funny. But you, if you're visiting and you normally attend another church, put your church in here. How can, how can Bridges Church be stronger this year because of you? Let me mention three general areas uh, that, can, uh, that you can help to strengthen our church or any church. Uh, they are service, giving, and prayer. Ask yourself, how can I serve the church in 2020? What can I do? Where can I use my Uh, time, my talents in serving the church. Second, how can I give more to the church in 2020? How can I give uh, of my resources to the church so that we can continue in ministry, so that we can continue to send and support those who are going to the ends of the earth, so that we continue to do ministry in this community? How can I give more to the church in 2020? Maybe it requires a little budget overview. And how can I pray for the church in 2020? Praying for our missionaries, praying for our staff, our elders, our members. As you get the prayer requests, and if you don't, see Dina about that. As you get the the weekly prayer requests, are you praying through those? How can I pray for the strength of our church? And if you're not sure of how how to answer these questions, I'd love to talk to you about them. I'm happy to talk to you about any of that. So sixth question, consider what's the most helpful new way you could strengthen your church. Seventh question, second prayer question, for whose salvation will you pray most fervently this year? In Romans 10.1, which we looked at a number of weeks ago, the Apostle Paul, writing about his Jewish brothers and sisters, says, brothers... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Whose salvation will you pray for in 2020? And knowing this, let me give a little warning. Praying frequently and fervently for someone's salvation makes us much more sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel with that person. Paul not only prayed for the salvation of Israel, but he proclaimed the gospel to Israel. God can and does use us as a means to answer our own prayers. Now, on the other hand, maybe there's someone that you've been sharing with in different ways for years, and they've just been resistant, resistant, resistant. They have not uh, shown any interest, if you will. Maybe it's time to pray. Maybe it's time to spend a few moments each day and just praying that God would work in the heart of that person. Will you commit to praying for at least one person's salvation every day for this year? That's the seventh, seventh question to consider. 
Now, for time's sake, I'm, gonna, I'm going to briefly mention the last three questions. Just briefly. Eighth, what's the most... But, but again, remember, you're to take these home and, and think about them. What's the most important way, by God's grace, you will try to make this year different from last? God is sovereign, but His sovereignty, in His sovereignty, he, he gives us a measure of responsibility in the different areas of our life. In which of these areas would you most like to see a change in this year? You may find that your answer to the question is found in one of the answers uh, we've already talked about, in one of the questions we've already talked about. To which of them do you sense the Holy Spirit calling your attention most urgently? Nine, this is the third prayer question. What one thing could you do to improve your prayer life this year? This may involve increasing, just specifically increasing your time of prayer. It may involve joining us at 9.15 on Sunday mornings in this back room here to pray, uh, to come together with a group from this church to pray. This would, uh, this would help, this would be an answer to the how can you strengthen your church and to how can you increase your prayer. One stop shopping if you join us in prayer on Sunday morning. For many, it might be as simple as, as designating a time exclusive for prayer instead of praying only uh, on-the-go types of prayers. For others, it might be learning the simple... Uh, this, is, this is maybe... I'd like to see you join us on Sunday mornings, but this is uh, the one thing that revolutionized my prayer life a number of years ago is uh, the simple practice of praying the Bible. And I'm not going to talk about that, uh, but I included a link to an article by John Piper on this subject. It's in, your, it's in the notes there. You can't click on it because it's a piece of paper. Just so, I just don't want you to like run your mouse and click on it. You have to type it in then, okay? Ten. Last one. What single thing can you plan to do this year that will matter most in ten years in eternity? Short-term deadlines tend to dominate our attention. Busyness and fatigue often limit our vision uh, to just getting through today. If I can only make it through today. But don't let the tyranny of the urgent distract you from uh, something you've neglected that would have enormous long-term impact on your soul, on your family, on your church, on the world around you. Don't just think about now. Consider your long-term ways as well. Okay? So those are the ten questions for you to consider. And again, I'd suggest that you take these home and in the next few weeks, think about how you can answer and implement the answers into your life. Maybe even rewrite the questions in your own words. If you uh, want a digital copy of the questions they're on our website. If you go to Messages, you scroll down, you'll, you'll figure it out. It comes in a Word document. If, uh, if you can't figure that out, just email me and I'll send you a, a copy. Now let me conclude with the words uh, Don Whitney used to end his 10 questions for the New Year article. He writes, I hope this helps you. He's speaking about his article. I would include the sermon. I hope this helps you to consider your ways, to make plans and goals, and to live this new year with biblical diligence, 
remembering the principle that the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Proverbs 21.5 But in all things, let us also re- remember our dependence on our King who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15.5 And that leads to our time of communion. Because we can consider our ways all day long. We can have goals, make plans, have resolutions and commitments in our lives. But apart from Jesus Christ, uh, it's all meaningless. We can do nothing of lasting value without Christ. It's because of what we remember here today in communion, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that we can have any hope of enjoying God, or praying the impossible, or improving our families, or practicing spiritual disciplines, or ridding ourselves of time wasters, or strengthening our church, or praying for the salvation of others, or making this year better than last, or improving our prayer life, or having a lasting impact in our world. It is only because of Christ that these things are possible. So we come to remember and we come to celebrate Him. And as the uh, ushers come forward, let's turn our hearts fully to Christ. Let's remember and celebrate who Christ is and what He's done. As we prepare our hearts for communion, would you join me in prayer? In a prayer of thanksgiving, not, not for another year or decade, but for Christ who died for us and is with us every year every decade of our lives. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much that you have given us minds, you've given us the ability, you've given us markers like New Year's to think about things. Lord, I pray we would consider our ways, but I pray we would consider them under you. Consider them knowing all that you've done for us. Consider them knowing that you gave yourself for us. Consider them knowing we've committed to live for you. Father, because of who you are and what you've done. So I pray as we uh, join in this time of communion together that, that it would be a sweet, honoring, and glorifying remembrance of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now as we went through those ten questions, maybe God used one of them, a few of them, to convict you of maybe even sin in your life, of, of needed change in your life. So I want to give you, uh, before we come to the table together, I want to give you a moment to, uh, to pray. Silent prayer. Use this time to confess any known sin, to ask for forgiveness, to call upon the Lord, to give you strength to overcome in the future. Take a moment and, and pray silently.